My name is Jeremy Anderson. I serve as one of the student ministry pastors of the Sugar Grove campus. Uh, for those of you who may not know me yet, and so it's a privilege to be here this morning and to be uh, bringing God's word uh, before us. And uh, we just got back last night from Lake Ann Camp, all the way up in northern Michigan. So it's been quite a week. Some traveling yesterday. We were in a hot bus almost the entire day. So um, went well though. No hiccups. Uh, we got stuck in a little bit of traffic, but nothing to complain about. Um, Kids had a great time. I was encouraged. Last night I saw a post on Facebook from a mom of one of the students who uh, she said that it was the first time they let their student go away uh, from home and they came back and it was a, an emotional reunion. Uh, he came up and greeted them with tears and you know, kind of what they were expecting. But then she said what we didn't expect is for him to then say that he had placed his uh, trust in Christ uh, throughout the week. So uh, that's just one. We had 55 campers go up from across uh, three of our campuses. So um, it's always an encouragement to hear the ways that God works in uh, kids' lives and in those times that they get away. So uh, while we were up there, um, my wife and I and her dad, we were the adults that went on the trip, and we took an afternoon, and we went over to the Sleeping Bear Dunes. Have any of you guys been to the Sleeping Bear Dunes at all? No? Okay, great. So when I tell you that these dunes are the most magnificent, huge dunes you'd ever see in your life, you don't believe me, okay? Um, a couple years ago, my father-in-law had said, hey, we're going to go over to these dunes, and there's one place where you could climb all the way down the dune and go into Lake Michigan and swim for a little bit and then climb your way back up. And he was like, it is one of the most exhausting taxing activities you can do and I was like come on you know how bad could it really be I'd been to the Warren dunes in Michigan I'm like that's got a pretty big dune that's that's doable and like all right that's that's not that terrible like we'll go we're gonna do this and you get there and when you're standing up on top and you're looking out it's just like drop off like you feel like if you got a running start you could just jump and land in Lake Michigan okay it's it's a huge dune 450 feet tall okay so that it's massive and it's at about a 45 degree angle okay so you get there and I'm like oh, he wasn't kidding okay so a couple of years ago I went down with them and climbed back up and you know you get into it first 15 steps you're like oh this is not that bad okay and as you keep going you're like this is the worst idea I've ever had in my life okay so to show you how bad this is there is a sign the state of Michigan warns you at the top of the dune, there's a sign that says, descend at your own risk. We will not pay for your rescue. You're on your own hook. Like, if you can't get back up, it's on you. And you're like, oh, it's kind of serious, you know. But, uh, we ignored it, and we went down anyway. So this year, we went back, all right? And, and Bree was like, you know, I don't know that I want to climb up. But it's just the three of us. We're like, we got to do something. So you have three ways to get back from the dune, uh, going down. One, you can climb it yourself, which is hard. Two, you can pay for a rescue. Or three, you can walk about a mile and a half down the beach to the next public, uh, public beach and have someone come pick you up from there. So I was like, well, okay, why don't we go down and, uh, and we'll just walk the beach. Your dad can climb back up like a, like a crazy person, and we'll walk the beach down uh, to the next place, and he'll come pick us up. We're like, oh, this is going to be great. I was like, Brie, we're going to take our first romantic walk on the beach. This is going to be awesome. Well, there was another warning this time. You know, with all the rain we've had this spring, Lake Michigan's up 15 inches from its normal. So think about the mass of Lake Michigan to be up 15 inches 
it's unbelievable, okay? So we're walking. Bree and I start this walk down the beach, and it, it's, it's perfect. Calm waves lapping the shore. We're just talking. Like, this is, it's nice. It's peaceful. And we get to this spot. We're like, oh, there's a tree down. So we climb up a little bit over the dune, go around the tree. And like, oh, that was a little inconvenient, but not, not the worst thing in the world. We keep, oh, there's another tree down. Well, as we climb up over this one, I look up ahead, and there's like 400 trees down ahead of us. We're like, oh, this is, we're not going up the dunes, so we'll figure this out. We're going we're gonna to go and you know, wander our way through all these trees. And so we get to this point where there's so many trees down, and you can just see where the land just fell. Um, and so I had found this place where there was a cabin up above, and we had come to a spot where there were a bunch of thick trees, and I'm like, let's... Let's go, I want to go see if we can climb up above. And this lady who was at the cabin saw me climb up on her property. So she came and asked, like, are you guys okay? I was like, yeah, we're just trying to get down to the next beach. And she was like, yeah, we, in the last four or five months, we had 30 feet of our property fall into Lake Michigan. So all the way through here. And so before we had started on this trek, um, my father-in-law had looked up and there was a warning online that there is no beach to walk on. So don't plan to walk the beach. And... Just like the warning about climbing the dune, we ignored that one too. We're like, how bad could it be? We're thinking the water's just high. We'll just have to walk in a little bit of water. No big deal. We were very wrong. <laughs> okay, so there were these very serious warnings that were ahead of us that uh, we ignored, and we thought we were going to get the easy way out walking the beach, and we decided afterwards it may have been six and one half dozen the other. Her dad actually beat us to the other beach, so... Um, call him a superhero or something, climbing that thing that faster. It took us a long time. But the point in this is uh, we're in the book of Amos, and Amos is full of serious warnings. And we have seen these serious warnings uh, come up already in the series. We're going to continue to see these warnings, and we're going to see some even this morning. And so as we look at the book of Amos, we have to remember that um, these, this minor prophet was speaking these warnings to a people that were not living in America in 2019. Uh, they were real people at a real time, but that doesn't mean that we can uh, discredit anything that's said. You, ask, you can ask the questions, well, why would, why would God include such a book in the canon of Scripture? Why would we have it to look back on as Christians today? And there are things that we can learn. We just have to to bridge the gap a little bit more. And just the same way as people all throughout history have, the people of the early church had to bridge that gap a little bit. They were just a little less disconnected. And uh, the Jews that would follow after this, they still had to bridge that gap a little bit. But it stands uh, as a reminder for God's people, whom we are, of these warnings that come before us. So this morning we're going to draw out some principles that are true for God's people of all times. And hopefully we'll be able to, to come down to some practical application as well. So turn uh, with me to Amos chapter 4. We're going to look at the whole chapter and the first three verses of chapter 5. I have to be honest, when I was asked to preach on a prophetic book, I have not done that yet. So I was a little nervous. I'm like, well, this is going to be interesting. But I have really enjoyed uh, breaking this down and studying it. And uh, i got to be honest, doing it up in northern Michigan is quite the place to, to spend time studying God's word, so it's better a treat. So let's, let's look at God's word for us this morning. Amos says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, Bring, that we may drink. 
The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead. And you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. I, ha- I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water. It would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel. Because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold... He who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land, with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, The city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the word that you've brought before us. Thank you for the warnings that we see throughout Scripture and the reminders that they serve to us. God, I pray now that you would speak truth through me, that you would remind me of my studies and the message that you put before me, that I may be able to speak with boldness and clarity. Lord, I pray for each heart in this room that we might hear your word, that we would have a clear understanding and practical application, that we might trust you, and hear from you, and apply what we have to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. So, we're going to look at four things, four principles that we'll address this morning. And the first is uh, Amos's warning to Israel reminds us that we shouldn't become conceited in our prosperity. We shouldn't become conceited in our prosperity. Listen up, you cows of Bashan, he says, like how... That's a way to win someone's heart over, right? You can call him a cow. And, you know, it's right there at the beginning of the passage. It sounds like a, a pretty offensive statement. and It kind of was, but it probably wasn't as offensive as we would think it today, right? There's a whole book in the Bible, the Song of Solomon, that uses ridiculous comparisons. I have never said to my wife that her hair looks like a flock of goats leaping down the, the hill, or her eyes look like doves, you know, like... We don't speak like that, but they did, okay? So while it's probably not the most endearing comment to make, it probably doesn't sound to them quite as offensive as we would take it today. Um, but nevertheless, Amos refers to them, specifically the women of Israel, as the cows of Bashan. And why, 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 you might ask, would Amos do such a thing? 
Um, probably, here's, here's why. The cows of Bashan were commonly known at that time to be very strong and healthy cattle. Uh, they continued to produce uh, a healthy uh, young, and they would prosper. And so to be called the cows of Bashan, really, I think what Amos is trying to get through here is he's saying, listen, these, these cows have had everything they need for health and prosperity, everything that they need to be strong, to be healthy. You, you people of Israel, have had everything. You have indulged yourselves in, in your prosperity. The other thing is, uh, seeing that the cows of Ashan were so healthy and fit, they were often the older, more mature cows ready for the slaughter. So in some ways, there's a, a, a Amos is really calling out here and saying, you have indulged yourselves, you have filled yourself, you have had more than enough, and you now stand ready and prepared for the, uh, the slaughter. You are plump and mature, ready to go. And so um, in their prosperity, Israel had become wicked, They'd become conceited and full of themselves. You see it right there in verse 1. Uh, he identifies the people he's talking to. He says, you, have, you oppress the poor, you crush the needy, and you say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. You could imagine that these, these people of Israel had become so indulged with themselves, their own entertainment, their own pleasures, that that had become an end to them. You can imagine that they scoffed at those who were less prosperous. Like, you don't share in the prosperity that we have as God's people. Look at us. What's wrong with you, in a sense, as they oppress the poor? Though they had much, though the people of Israel had much, they did not have God in it. So Amos's warning reminds us that we, too, shouldn't become conceited in our own prosperity. And so, how do we become conceited in our own prosperity? It happens in a couple of ways. One, uh, that we can begin in our prosperity to live as self-reliant people. Uh, to live like we have no need for God. And how, how much do we really see this here in America? I remember years ago now, I, w- I had spent a, a month in Ghana. And while I was there, I was just amazed at the faith of the people that trusted in God for the most little of things, such as food, right? And it got me thinking, I'm like, I never really have that concern here at home. If I'm hungry, I can find food somewhere. If I don't have it in the pantry, I can go to McDonald's, I can go and hit up Screamers, the cafe, wherever, you can go to the grocery store. There, there's food if you need it. I don't, I don't suffer that. And so I don't naturally tend to trust, Lord, provide the food for me today. And so we need to be careful that we don't become too self-reliant in our own faith and the prosperity that we have here in America, that we would live as if God's hand weren't in it, that God's provisions weren't real, that we don't need him and his gifts for us each and every day. Uh, We need to be careful not to become conceited. And when we start to live as self-reliant people, separate from God, we can be driven uh, by our prosperity, and we can't really get enough of it, right? And you've heard it said, like, the, if you ask the, the richest people of the world, well, how much more money would you need to be content? Just, just a little more, just a little more, just a little more, right? We begin to taste prosperity, and we would just want more of it. We continue to indulge. Contentment is not much of a, a well-practiced virtue in our uh, culture today, in our nation, so we need to be careful that we don't become driven by it and that prosperity would become the end that we seek. 
and even to the point of using faith to get there. That's where you see stuff like the Word of Faith movement and the prosperity gospel become so popular because in many ways, wealth and prosperity become the end and God becomes only a means to the end. If we worship God, he will bless us with goods and riches. Our prosperity should never take uh, triumph over God. He should forever and always hold the one true place in our hearts as, as God. So don't let it become our end that we would be uh, be driven by our prosperity. As we become more possessed by our prosperity, we can easily look in judgment of other people as well, right? And this is where it oftentimes happens, just in the quietness of your own heart. We don't like to say these things because they're very unchristian to say, but there's times where we may drive down the street, you go to the city or something, you see homeless people, and our first thoughts are often, well, how irresponsible were they with their finances, they blew it all on gambling or drugs or booze or you name it. And we begin to look down on people. And for some, that may be very true. But in ways, we, we have a judgmental eye towards those that don't share the same prosperity of, as us. So we may elevate ourselves and become conceited in our own hearts and our own minds of the, the prosperity that we have. And to be honest, like there are times where we will see those who are in need and it's good to help. And oftentimes you see Christians who do, they lend a helping hand, they'll buy someone a meal, they'll serve and they'll help out in ways. But we still in those times need to be ever so careful that we don't go and lend a helping hand in a way that we are looking for recognition. Because it's easy to put on the act on the outside and say, I'm in this for all the right reasons. I'm, I'm being a godly person, I'm being generous, but secretly, if you're honest with yourself, deep down inside, what you're really striving for is someone to say, man, you're such a good person. You're so generous with your time, your money. How, how do you give so much? How do you do it? And we get a little puffed up, full of ourselves in that moment. Like, yeah, that's, what, that's what I was looking for. That we would be humble servants of our God, that we wouldn't be seeking the praise of others. We need to, as Christians, see to it that we are the best customers and clients, the best workmen that we could possibly be. We should bear that testimony. When I find out uh, somebody is a Christian or a Christian-run business, I automatically have high expectations uh, because we should do everything, not as if we're doing it for each other or for man, but as if we're doing it for the Lord. Uh, Bree has been working at uh, Jimmy John's now for a while as she's been finishing up her, her bachelor's degree, and there was one day that she was working, and she was running the drive through and uh, this lady came up to the drive through and began to order, and I, I don't know what was happening. Maybe she was dealing with kids in the back, or you know, she wasn't talking directly to the microphone. Whatever the reason was, she kept trying to place her order, and Bree couldn't understand her through the microphone. So Bree had to ask her a couple times, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? And this lady came to the point where she responded much as you'd kind of expect a child to, and says, can you hear me now, in a sense, and places her order really loud and really slow. Super rude. As she pulls around the corner, Brie recognized this lady, knew her, and she was a lady that professed to be a Christian. And as Brie tells the story, she would tell you that she didn't really want to have much interaction with Brie because she knew Brie too. And so I think there was some shame there. That like, oh man, I was... I was way out of line. I share that story with you because that's the exact opposite, right, of what we should be. We should be gracious. We should be understanding and kind. Um, don't lose your testimony 
over having to repeat your order a couple times at the drive-through, or you know, if someone gets your order wrong, or you know, you have some some business, use it as an opportunity to share your testimony, right? That you would be a witness, a kind and understanding person. You'd go that extra mile because we need to not oppress. We need to not become so full of ourselves that the you know the, the whole customer's always right. That we become the god into the situation, right? We need to recognize that even the services we get, the food that we may order at McDonald's is still a gift and provision from God. So don't abandon that testimony, but take it for what it is. Don't be the lady at the drive-thru, because you never know. You never know who you might run into who's taking your order and the, the witness that you may be sharing. So in some ways it was good. I think that Bree was taking the order and not somebody else, because Bree can be understanding as well, and you know maybe the lady was just having a really bad day. But uh, nevertheless, keep that testimony. So God says that his people had really become full of themselves and their prosperity. They'd turned from living according to his word. Instead of taking the, the prosperity and the, the wealth and success that God had given them and using it to further his kingdom, they really used it to further themselves. And so um, he goes on and, and gives them these warnings and says, listen, don't abandon me. You have abandoned me. Turn back. Uh, God is giving them a great warning and promising by his own holiness and that the character of God's unchanging to, that he is going to bring by these, uh, these judgments that are going to come. So don't let your prosperity turn you from God. I heard this uh, last week while we were at Lake Ann. I sat down with the um, chairman of the board of directors for Lake Ann Camp for a little bit, and he was telling me this story. They've just built a new building up there, and uh, they, they're enjoying talking about it right now, and it's understandable. It's a beautiful building. And he was uh, sharing the story that back in September they had the dedication of it, and so they had uh, contacted the... Uh, city of Traverse, or they had contact Traverse City, and they sent a TV crew out. And so this TV crew comes, and they do a couple shots of what's going on, and they air it on the television. And some dude who had no idea Lake Ann was even there uh, called up the camp, wanted to talk to the director, and says, "Hey, I, I see you guys are doing some work. You guys have uh, put in a new building. I didn't even know you guys were there. Um, do you have any financial need left?" And he was like, "Well, we do. We have a few hundred thousand dollars that we're still working on raising." He's like, "Okay," and that was kind of the end of the conversation. Well, he calls back a, a couple days later. He says, listen, I have this foundation, and we're going to donate $300,000 to your, to your work. Amazing. Wow. So they, they finally get a chance to sit down and meet this guy. They give him, like, a tour of the camp, and here's what's going on around here. Like, and I'm still sitting there in this conversation. He's going out with the store, and I'm like, $300,000? <laughs> like, holy cow. You know? And so he goes on. This guy evidently was the founder of Amazon before it became something huge and magnificent, but when he sold, he made a lot of money. And his, uh, his family had had wealth for generations now. And he told me that they had just paid for a professional video to be done about how he and his uh, fathers and his grandfather had spent their money to invest in the kingdom of God. And it, as he's sharing it, I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like, are you trying to, like, brag about how you you know, use your money for God, and, and it's as if he read my thoughts, he's like, and he's not making it to be shared with the public. This whole video was made to be passed down to generations after him, that they might know and be reminded that the wealth that they inherit isn't to be used for themselves, but it's a gift from God to be invested into his kingdom. And I was like, wow, what an amazing, what an amazing testimony to not become so full of ourselves and our wealth. And listen, I don't know that anybody in this room has $300,000 you're just waiting to give away to somebody. Um, but 
nevertheless, we do all have uh, success and prosperity here in America that we shouldn't take lightly, that we should look for the opportunities to give back, to use it as investments for God king, God's kingdom, to, to open up your home to lost people, lost neighbors that need to hear about Jesus Christ. Use the things that God has given you uh, for, for him and to, for his glory. So don't become victim of falling uh, astray from, from God because of the wealth that we may have. Okay, so there's one. That was, that was pretty heavy. That was pretty long. All right, so the second thing, the second reminder that uh, Amos' warning gives us is to not be consumed with religious ceremony. Don't become consumed with religious ceremony. If you go on, uh, he calls uh, these people out for loving to do religious stuff. If you look in verses 4 and 5, he says, Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel. See, these people had become very consumed with the ceremony of religion, but they had left behind authentic worship and obedience to God. Okay, so when the kingdom, just to give you some context here, when, the, the, when Israel divided into the north and south, um, the northern kingdom didn't like so much that they'd have to send their people back to Jerusalem and the southern kingdom to worship. So what they did is they established these alternate cities where the people could worship God without having to go down to the southern kingdom. Those cities were, as you could probably guess, Bethel and, and Gilgal. Okay? So um, essentially what's going on here is these are being brought up. Go to these cities to worship and transgress. Heap on your, your sin. You know, God's saying, you, listen, you're not being obedient in your... Uh, in your worship right now because you're not worshiping as or where I have commanded you to do it. So in their efforts to, in a sense, appease their own desires, their own conveniences, they had left behind what was commanded them by God and pursued what worked for themselves. And we need to be careful of this kind of thing even in the church today, that we don't give up what God has called us to do as his church for that which is convenient or comfortable for us. When our worship of God is about us, we're in a very dangerous spot. He says, you might as well offer sacrifices uh, contaminated with leaven because your sacrifices you continue to make now have been contaminated with your sin. He's like, listen, you love, you love to come do religious things. But yet, look at what your life testifies. You oppress the poor, you crush the needy. You don't live in obedience to God. So you might do these rituals, but your life, your life is in rebellion. You've contaminated your offerings. Bring your sacrifices or your, your tithes every three days instead of every three years. Listen, go above and beyond. Do everything you could possibly do. Listen, it's all, it's all vanity. It's not going to work out for you. You have already contaminated it. You don't live in obedience to God. Okay, so your love of religion has become about your own enjoyment. You love to do these things, yet you have left me out of it, essentially is what God is saying. And we need to be careful because we can easily fall into that same thing as Christians today, where we fall in love with the ceremony of religion and we leave true faith completely out of it. So what does that uh, mean? Maybe if uh, I put it in a different context, uh, maybe Amos's words into a modern context it might make a little bit more sense. What if it said, go to church? Increase your sin. Join small groups and Bible studies. Serve in three ministries and increase your sins more. Do your daily devotions without fail. Tithe 90% and live on 10. 
Post online about all you ha- know about faith and religion and God. For so you love to do, O people of Israel. If that were all that it was, come and take communion as the church. Give to the church, whatever it is. And, and we rely on those things. And we, we say, in a sense, I want to be holy by association. Yet we could go out and live our lives as if God didn't really exist. We don't acknowledge him on a daily basis. We treat others disrespectfully. We don't honor other people. But we're in much of a, situa- a similar situation, aren't we? We need to be careful that our love of church itself doesn't take away from true worship of God. We should come and gather. We should come to church, just as the people of Israel should go and do those things, but they shouldn't do them out of their own selfishness and their own pride and their own convenience, but they should do them uh, for others. There was a commentator who put it this way, the children of Israel loved their corrupted worship. It was disobedient both in heart and action, but they loved it. It's always wrong to measure worship by how it pleases us because it is possible for corrupt and disobedient worship to be wonderfully pleasing. Of course, we don't want to get into thinking that worship must hurt or be unpleasant to be holy and acceptable. That's not the point. The point is that we don't first measure worship by how it makes us feel. We measure it by how it honors God. We need to always remember that. As you do life as a Christian, as you worship as a Christian, your life is worship to God. How does our worship together honor God, not just make us feel? So, those are, those are the two warnings that we were reminded what not to become. We're not to become conceited in our prosperity. We're not to become uh, consumed with religious ceremony. But his warning also reminds us that instead of those, we should be, uh, uh, two things, first, concerned about God's warnings. If you move on to verses 6 through 11, there's all these different things. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and the lack of bread in all your places. You didn't return to me. And you go through all these things. I've done this and you didn't return to me, declares the Lord. Five times, God sent warnings to his people that they might turn back from their rebellion and return to their God. And five times, they ignored him. Five times, they heaped God's judgment upon themselves, which is a terrible thing. But yet, five times, God was patient with his people. Five times, God was merciful. Five times, he withheld the weight of his wrath in order that his people might repent and turn back to their God. We need to rejoice this morning that God is a patient God, even with us, with his church today, with the warnings that he gives. He doesn't, he could just, he could have at that time been like, listen, done, you've, you've screwed up and we're over. But he's a patient, patient God. So I remember as a, a child um, with my mom, bless her heart, um, I was not always the most well-behaved. And you guys know the, the mom look, Right? You're acting out of line. You're doing something you maybe shouldn't. You've got a crappy attitude. And mom just gives you that mom look, as if she's peering into the depths of your soul and saying, shape up or else. right? And you know the look. It's, it's a common thing. All moms have it. I'm, I'm convinced of it. So your mother had it. And if you're a mother here, you have it. So uh, the mom look. And that's where it always started. If I was acting out of line, it'd start with the mom look, as if she peered into my soul and said, Jeremy? Shape up now, or you're going to suffer the consequences. And there were times that I took that warning and responded appropriately and stopped, but there were a lot of times that I didn't. And it would progress from there, right? It would go from the mom look to the mom look accompanied by Jeremy. And, you know, it's getting a little more stern, the tone of the voice. You're like, ooh, it's getting a little more serious. And there were still times I didn't listen to that warning. And it would turn into, 
Jeremy Dale. When that middle name came out, you're like, now it's it's getting real. <laughs> so most of the time at that point, I'd be like, all right, I don't want to step any further. I'm going to stop right here. Okay, but those times where you wouldn't, you'd start to lose privileges. You'd maybe get grounded. I'd lose the privilege of playing video games or going outside. I'd have to sit in my room for the afternoon or, you know, whatever it may be. I couldn't go hang out with the friends. But the worst was always, um, I'm going to talk to your dad when he gets home. That was like, now I'm dead. <laughs> this is going to be the end of me. Um, it's been real world. <laughs> I, have, I have messed up terribly. And as I look back, I realized that my mom was being very patient. She started off with a look, saying, hey, shape up. And she'd go into greater and greater warnings. And she, it didn't ever feel like she was being patient at the time. But now I'm like, oh, she was really nice. But God does the same thing with his people. He starts out, and now I would say God, I think, started out a little bit more extreme than what you might call the God look. Um, he didn't just look at his people with a, a stern, but he started out by saying, essentially, listen, I've brought famine upon you. So what he says in verse 6, I, I withheld food, yet you didn't return to me. He goes on and he says, listen, I, I withheld rain, but I did so in a way that you had no excuse but to recognize that it was me because I would have rainfall in one city but not in another city so that these cities would have to come. There's one field that would get rain and the next field that didn't get rain and that field would wither. In a sense, God's saying, listen, I provided the rain in such a way that you would have to see my hand in it and yet you didn't return to me. And he goes on, and things just continue to get worse. And he's like, listen, I struck all of your crops, your vineyards, your, your fig trees, your olive trees, all of these things. I struck them, they were, they were done. I destroyed them, yet you didn't return to me. So I brought a pestilence upon you. I, I hurt you. I touched your own bodies. I killed some of your young men with a sword. I took away your horses. Listen, I, I have increased my warnings and the severity of my warnings, and yet still you didn't return to me, declares the Lord. And so then lastly, he says, listen, I, I overthrew some of you, just like Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. I have destroyed some of you. And those of you who are left, in a sense, are like those who were plucked out, a burning ember that is left over. Yet you still, you still didn't return to me. You still didn't return to me. We need to be concerned about God's warnings because we have come to a point now in our passage where we've seen the, the severity of God's warning to uh, the nation of Israel and the, those around it in previous weeks. We see it again now that, listen, God is saying, I have warned you time and time and time again, just like my mom says, listen, I tried. I've tried to be merciful with you and you've crossed the line. Right? And that's what the nation of Israel is, is dealing with. God's people are dealing with here is they have ignored God's warnings over and over again. And we as God's people are reminded now that God is a patient God, but he does send his warnings. He does expect us to live in obedience and walk with him. So we shouldn't just go on our lives abusing the grace of God, saying, oh, God's, God's given me grace, so I essentially can go do whatever it is that I want. Listen, that is not the life that we've been called to live. We've been called to live with God as our Lord, to obey Him. And we are thankful for the grace of God because we will fail, we will stumble. And that's where we say, thank you, Lord, for being gracious to me. You've given me another chance. Don't abuse the mercies of God, but turn from your wickedness. God might be calling you right now of a sin in your life, because listen, there's none of us in this room, there's no one in this world who is so good that there is not a conviction to be 
uh, held in your heart. So even now as I speak, you might be thinking of that one thing that maybe, maybe other people know about, or maybe it's so secret and inside of yourself that, that only you and God know, and he's putting it on your heart in this very moment, and your, your blood pressure is starting to rise because you're thinking, man, if, if somebody knew, it would be the end of me. And God's saying, listen, turn from that sin. Forsake it. Turn back to me. And we as Christians today have the great benefit that we have so many warnings from God right here in his word to remind us that we can look back on the nation of Israel even and say, man, they missed it. Let me not miss it now. But then God works. I mean, you look at the ways that God warned his people here. They were in very natural ways. God does many things in our lives to try to get our attention. We need to pay attention to that call. Heed his warnings. Be concerned about the warnings that he brings before us because sometimes what we do, just like climbing the dunes and saying, oh, uh, you know, climb down at your own risk, we say, oh, it can't be that bad, or, you know, the, there must be some beach left. It's fine. You know, we don't heed the warnings, and we belittle the warnings of God and say, how bad could it really get? Because God's just, he's a loving God. He's gracious. He's not really going to punish me. But the book of Hebrews says that God punishes those whom he loves. We as his people, he will punish us. Now, there's no condemnation for us, for those who are in Christ. So we stand guilt-free, righteous in the blood of Christ before God, but he is in the work of sanctifying us, making us more holy, more like him, that we would walk in obedience. So turn, repent of the sinful ways in your life. And I know there's some there. It may not be the the terrible, terrible, worst thing in the world that you would think of it. But it, nonetheless, it is sin against the holy God. So turn from your sins. Turn from your sins and obey Him. Lastly, we should be certain of God's judgment. Certain of His judgment. And this is going to be a theme that I believe we're going to hear time and time and time again throughout the book of Amos. And it's healthy for us to learn it. It's healthy for us to learn because we must remember that God is a just and holy God. It's important for us to know this. And God's patience here with his people has, has run out. And he says in verse 12, he says to the prophet, Because of all this, therefore, since I've given you all these warnings, yet you continue to be conceited in your own prosperity, uh, thus I'm going to do to you. And since I'm going to do, to it, do it to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. So in a sense, what God is saying is, listen, I have given you physical warnings. I've given you natural warnings. I've sent you a prophet to speak through you. And now you've ignored all of it. I'm going to deal with you myself. I'm going to deal with you myself. Hebrews 10.31 tells us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God's judgment on his people is going to be severe, and it's going to be thorough. As we learned last week, there's no, way, no place you can escape. His judgment is coming for you. You look back in uh, um, verses 2 and 3, the, the days are coming. You're going to be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. You're going to be led through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you should be cast out into Harmon. In the prosperity that you lived, you're going to lose your prosperity. I'm going to crush you as you have crushed the poor, and I'm going to lead you out humbled. There is no prosperity that will protect you. There is no amount of church involvement that can save you. Your salvation is found only in God. And for those of us who would look at the warnings of God in our lives and we would belittle them and say, eh, 
how bad could it really be? We need to be careful that we may not have an appropriate fear of the Lord. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. His judgment is coming. Heed his warnings while we still can. There's a day coming when the earth and everyone in it will testify and answer to God and give account for their lives. And on that day, we're told uh, that we will be compared with the holiness of God. And in his perfection and his holiness, he is going to judge the sinful deeds of humanity. And if on that day you do not have Christ to claim, it's going to be a sad day. See, it's not about just being involved in church. It's about true and authentic faith in Jesus Christ. That drives us to understand and involve ourselves in church and our communities the appropriate way, the God-honoring way. But don't rely on those things for your salvation. Don't think that, you know, I, I am so involved in different ways, or I serve in different ministries, or I give to the church and say these things are going to save me. You'll be sorely disappointed on that day when judgment comes. Turn. Heed God's warnings. His judgment is coming. Charles Spurgeon reflected on this passage, and he comment to this. He said, think a while upon who it is that you have to meet. You must meet your God. That is, offended justice, you must meet whose laws you've broken, whose penalties you've ridiculed. Justice, rightly indignant, with its sword drawn, you must confront. You must meet your God. That is, you must be examined by unblinded omniscience. He who has seen your heart and read your thoughts and jotted down your affections and remembered your idle words, you must meet him. An infinite discernment you must meet. Those eyes that never yet were duped. The God who will see through the veils of hypocrisy and all the concealments of formality. There will be no making yourself out to be better than you are before him. That, that should humble us. Because listen, it is an easy thing to dupe each other. It is an easy thing to come and put the face on and be happy and act all good like you're, you got your life put together like a good little Christian and you don't struggle with anything. But listen, there's a day coming where just as Charles Spurgeon says that we are going to meet an omniscient God who can see through all your fakeness. There's nothing that you can do to fool him. So prepare to meet your God. Turn to Christ. That on that day you might claim Christ and his righteousness that he would look upon you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That he would see the righteousness of his son rather than the, the filth of your own mess. That your sins might be washed clean. How can we be certain that judgment day is coming? There's one thing to talk about it. How do we know that it's actually going to happen? Because God swears by his own holiness. In God's holiness, he speaks only the truth. So what God says he's going to do, he's going to do. There's a day coming where he is going to, in purity and holiness, judge this world. So be certain. Heed the warnings from Amos. Turn from your wickedness. Don't become conceited in your own prosperity or consumed with the religious ceremony of church. Don't just be part of the church. Be the church. Heed God's warnings and follow him daily with your life.